That's the cat song. He just loves it. He loves being like, pick him up, and I just have this like, beans, 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 he just loves it. Cassie, you want a shot of Fireball? No, not at all. Do you it, want 10 shots of Fireball? Never in my life. <laughs> if you're going to drink 10 shots of something, what would it be? Of? I, I was thinking about this, and it's probably going to have to be tequila, just because. 10 shots Whoa. of tequila? I could do it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 10 shots of Fireball, but I would mm-hmm. probably throw up after 10. Yeah. Um, I did drink an entire bottle of Jack Daniels in a day. Um, that's like 40 shots, but don't. I don't recommend How it. How did you feel the next day after that, though? I don't know. I think that I was, <laughs> you know, like shaky. So we did it for my birthday, like, Three right, or four years ago, challenge. we we called it the Lemmy Challenge, and everybody brought their own bottle of Jack Daniels, and the goal was to finish it in one day because Lemmy drank a bottle of Jack every single day. Everybody came over, and we all brought our own bottle, and we we tried to finish them. Jake finished his. My brother, yeah, he he brought over his bottle of like wild turkey, and he <laughs> finished it by like five p.m. and was like, "You guys are drunk. I'm going home." <laughs> and he fucking left. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> amazing. It was ruthless. It was definitely. Yeah, I would fall over. Time. I mean, I'm a pretty. Now I would say it's different. College was way different because I could out drink most people. But yeah. <laughs> now, like the other night, I had what two glasses of wine. Yeah, we're approaching our thirties now. We're, we're, we <laughs> can't hang like we used to. <laughs> well, the reason why we are talking Ooh. about excessive drinking today um, is because our topic is Bonzo, Mister John Bonham. Um, this guy was named as Rolling Stone's number one greatest drummer of all time. He beat out Neil Peart, Ginger Baker, Keith Moon, everybody. John Bonham was the drummer for Led Zeppelin. You've probably heard of those guys. Uh, he played with Led Zeppelin from 1968 until his death in 1980, which we are going to get to later right now. We're starting at the beginning. So while I was making the the podcast, or not the podcast, the, I always say that, the playlist for this episode of the podcast, um, I was trying to find great songs from all of the drummers mentioned above because I don't just listen to drum solos on a daily basis. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. It's not cool. Um, and I did, like when I got to Ginger Baker, I noticed that he had a song with Iggy Pop. And I clicked on it because it was called Lonely Boy. And I was like, I don't know this song. But I was like, oh my God, the Black Keys covered this and didn't tell anybody. And I was like kind of upset about it. And then I realized they? they were covering for a Black Keys tribute album. But oh, I had right. like violently texted Alex like, what the fuck? Everything I know is a lie. And then it was just me being dumb. Yeah, I was I was like, well, yeah. that's crazy. I didn't know that song was a cover. What the heck? And then it turns out they there was like a Black Keys. Was it like a, it was tribute, a tribute album? For their like, like a greatest hit. They are still. And all of these people yeah. covered Black Keys songs. Oh my gosh. So um, we want to acknowledge our sources for today. Um, Loudersound.com. There was an article by Chris Welch. It's called Hard and Fast. John Bonham's Dark Road Down. Um, JohnBonham.co.uk. There was an article on TheFamousPeople.com. DrumLessons.org. And then um, HealthyPlace.com. There was a History of Anxiety Disorders article that we used, and then also the book Cemetery Gates, Saints, and Survivors of the Heavy Metal Scene by Nick O'Shea. That book is something that we're going to end up using multiple times. The Nick O'Shea guy, um, I think I mentioned this later on, but he's Irish, so there's a lot of like slang that I was having to Google because I was like, what does that mean? I'm not Okay, so let's start at the beginning. John Bonham was born on May 31st, 1948 in Redditch, Worcestershire, England. Worcestershire. And then he died. <laughs> Rest in peace. 
yeah, that's it. That's the episode. Thanks for joining. <laughs> no, but his seriously, like he died after being born. His heart stopped beating after an incredibly traumatic birth. His mom was in labor for 26 hours after delivery. The doctor was super exhausted and he left the hospital um, in a miracle revival. The nurse on duty was able to get another doctor to come in and save little baby John. So right out of the gates, John Bonham was living on borrowed time. At least he did you know, impact the music industry and the alcohol industry too. Oh yeah. <laughs> His parents were named Joan and Jack. He had a younger brother and sister, Mick and Deborah, and both of them were pretty musical as well. Mick was a DJ and Debbie was a singer. Hmm. Um, John Bonham's dad owned a building company and his mom ran a news agent's shop. I don't know what that is. Um, so they, they did seem to be pretty well off, um, which is fitting because drums are a very expensive hobby. Uh, John Bonham was an energetic child, and he picked up on drums from a very early age. He was five years old when he first really started. And you've got to have very supportive parents to listen to you <laughs> learning drums downstairs. You should I have think. interviewed your parents, Drew. <laughs> Drew can attest to this. Yeah, know. You've been They're drumming like, since what age? I was five when I started, but my dad always had a drum set, you know, so yeah. he played drums. So it was, I always had a kit. That's that cool. was what was really nice, because a lot of people, like, start on, you know, pots and pans and shit. Right. I yeah. actually was able to start with a drum set, but it does take an immense amount of uh, patience. patience from your parents. <laughs> your sister, Emily, used to get so pissed. My sister used to get so mad. She would be like studying or, or trying to like play dolls and I'm just like... <laughs> and it takes a long time to get to a point of like listenability. At age five, John Bottom was making his own kit. He was basically hitting any random shit that he could find throughout the house. Sounds a lot like Drew. Yeah, I was wondering if he also used sinks. It seems to be a, a common thing. If you have a metal sink, Drew's going to play it. Kitchens in general are just, just I have, percussion I have a heavens. double metal sink that yeah. upstairs right yeah. now. <laughs> it's so fun. That's how I like decide if I like a house or not. If, if it's the, got a good sink. If the sink has good acoustic values. <laughs> so um, John Bonham was watching dudes like Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich. He was he was hitting on his own homemade kit of containers and metal coffee tins. Yeah, I also found out he started using like a bath salt container with wires on the bottom around coffee tin with loose wire fixed to give it like a snare drum effect. Mm. That's ridiculous. Yeah, okay, the so fact so that a five-year-old <laughs> would realize like, I'm going to make this a snare. Like, what? The what? Fuck? Like, I don't even know what a snare is. Um, so eventually his <laughs> mother gave in and she upgraded him to a single snare drum when he turned 10. He didn't get a full kit until he was 15, uh, but since he'd been drumming for 10 years at that point, he never took any drum lessons. He sure. didn't need it. So he did pick up some pointers from other drummers in Redditch, and um, he went on to play in a couple of bands when he was in grade school. In secondary school, which I think is like the equivalent of high school, um, he was about 16 at the time, his headmaster said that he would either be a dust man or a millionaire. There's no in between. <laughs> no in between. <laughs> it's exact polar opposite. Yeah. So Never John, because he was a millionaire, you know, mm -hmm. he yep. made it. He was not a dust man. That guy's kicking himself. <laughs> John Bonham was living the dream. He was allowed to drop out of school at 16, which is fucking every wow. kid's every kid's goal. Um, <laughs> and as every local drummer does, he played in several bands, all while <laughs> apprenticing as a carpenter for his dad. Wow. Um, so how do you how do you join a band? John Bonham had a very interesting approach. His friend Bill Harvey said, quote, I went out with him a couple of nights to see a band. And the first thing he'd say to me was, that drummer is crap. <laughs> and, Did you do that, Drew? <laughs> do you go out and see bands and be like, that guy sucks? Yeah. I mean. He does. 
I try not to. I try to be as positive as possible. I would never do what he did, which is just like make other drummers feel complete shit. Yeah, so like when the band when the band would come off for a break, he would go straight up to whoever the band leader was and say, "Your drummer's not much good, is he? Let me have a go, and I'll show you." So he would get on the drums, and everybody would be amazed. So the poor this is still a quote. So the poor chap would get the sack, and John would take his job. He was pushy, and he got it. He got in wherever he wanted, but he had a heart of gold. That's where you know confidence is key. Yeah, it worked for him. (laughs) So as previously mentioned, Bonham was juggling working at the wood shop with his dad and playing with several local bands in 1964. Yeah, I looked up. One of those names was actually the Nicky James movement, but they didn't last long and broke up because they had their gear repossessed after a show. Mm. Yeah, so... (laughs) No, not hilarious. Hilarious That's like Dog the Bounty Hunter coming like, we need your gear! (laughs) (laughs) So um, John Bonham teamed up with a semi-pro band called Terry Webb and the Spiders. He was about 16 years old when this happened. And this is where he met his future babe, Pat. Um, after releasing a single with his other band, The Senators, in 1964, John Bonham said, fuck this wood shop, I'm going to be a full-time drummer. <laughs> um, I think those were his exact words. Probably. So he joined up uh, with a group called A Way of Life, which was put on hiatus soon thereafter. Um, before we get to what's going on musically, this is the point where John and Pat got married in 1965. She got pregnant with their first child, Jason. Um, and with A Way of Life on hiatus, John took up a job at a tailor's to make some money for the family. Uh, They've been living together in his dad's caravan, which is an RV. Um, But they were able to move into an apartment at this point ahead of the first Led Zeppelin album. Nice. Back to what's going on musically, John Bonham was widely known as the best drummer in the area. Um, He hit the drums really fucking hard. So while he was taking everyone else's jobs, he was also breaking a lot of drum heads and then getting himself blacklisted from venues. I thought, you know, since he did have some woodworking behind his, well, under his belt, he could have behind made his, his belt, behind it, not in front of or next to. Um, he could have just made his own drumsticks. Just roll them up. Yeah, I think they're pretty hard to make to make them like. I don't know. Even. You probably have to like shore machines. them to make them like the hard. Geppetto of drumsticks. Really hard. I don't know. You have to be hickory so hard. usually or oak. Yeah. So hard. So hard. So they used to have a sound cap at a lot of the venues that he was playing because he, he played so fucking loud. Once you exceed the decibels, the sound would completely just cut out. Like the entire <laughs> system would cut off. Well, also PA systems couldn't handle a lot back then. Yeah. You know, he, like trying to get vocals over a dude that's just... Why didn't they just back the hammer? mics up and not just have it? They probably didn't have a mic at all. I, I mean, just imagine playing like a, a, a London like basement that's all hard surfaces and putting a drum kit in there and then trying to and then trying to get over it vocally (laughs) yeah so he was making the sound cut out at venues all the time and then he would get banned from the venues because of the noise so when that would happen john bonham would take off and join up with another band serial Um, drummer (laughs) yeah there was actually a time recording with a way of life when johnny haynes of zella studios told bonham that he was unrecordable and that he would have no future if he was playing so loud now years later and John Bonham sent Haynes a Zeppelin gold record with a note that said, thanks for your advice. I think that's awesome. Like, how many other celebrities do you think has, like, shoved something back in someone's right. face? Like, they, now, just, they usually write a song about it, and they're like, ha-ha, right. I fucking made it. Or they can song. just, like, tweet at them on Twitter. But, yeah, <laughs> you get a gold record that I made. <laughs> also, jabs like that are great for you as a player, yeah. you know, because you don't want everyone to just be like, oh, you're great all the time. Like, that doesn't really do much. Right. You know, but someone like challenging someone, you, mm-hmm. and you could obviously tell John Bonham was that type of guy that like, whiplash. Yeah, if you like <laughs> pushed him a little bit, oh. so he probably legitimately was thanking that guy, you know, for. But all it's like a a thank slash fuck you. Sure, it's definitely <laughs> passive. 
pass Fuck, thank you. <laughs> I, well, I used to get in trouble all the time in school. People, like, I would just I talk all the fucking time. Yeah. And they'd be like, stop talking. And I would be written up for talking. And then I was when I was on the radio, I was like, I get paid to do this now. <laughs> Fuck you. <Teacher. laughs> so at this point in the story, the timeline is a little bit muddled because John Bonham was doing so many things at once. But around 1965, between his stints with A Way of Life, John met Robert Plant, and the two played together in Crawling King Snakes, which was a blues group. This did worry Pat, which was Bonham's wife, because anytime Plant was in town, he was kind of a bad influence on Bonham. Huh. Uh, they would meet up and inevitably drink away all their paychecks uh, and then staying out at all hours like she couldn't get a hold of him. Yeah. I mean, but that's cell how, phones that's didn't like exist. We like, call the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my husband? That's like Is half of practices getting drunk. Um, So uh, John Bonham's parents came out to a show once and Robert Plant was performing what would become a whole lot of love. So he, the way that he would perform is just super sexual. He was wrapping his leg around the microphone stand and he started humping it. And John Bonham's mom, right in the middle of it, went to the front and yelled, John, get off of those drums. And now you are not playing with that boy. He's a pervert. (laughs) Hello, call me pervert. So (laughs) Robert Plant and John Bonham continued to play in bands together. And as it seems to go in music, one band failed, another band started, and you take your favorite people with you. That's exactly how Led Zeppelin started. Cool. Um, It wasn't immediate, though. John Bonham actually stopped playing with Robert Plant for a time. They were in a group called Band of Joy after the Kingsnakes. Um, They had the opportunity to open for an American performer named Tim Rose for his European tour. Tim asked John Bonham to be his drummer, and he, of course, said yes, so he could finally get some steady income. Sure. In the meantime, Jimmy Page, the future guitarist for Led Zeppelin, was in a group called the Yardbirds. Good stuff. Yeah. Check out the playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, they <laughs> broke up in 1968, but they were still obligated to go on a tour in Scandinavia. So Jimmy Page recruited Robert Plant. Plant suggested Bonham on drums. Jimmy Page had seen Bonham perform once with Tim Rose, and both he and their manager, Peter Grant, were captivated. They had to have him. Yeah, Plant brought Page to see Bonham play in Hampstead, North London, uh, when he was playing with Tim Rose on July 31st, 1968. Uh, Bonham actually played a five-minute drum solo, and that's when Page knew they had found their drummer. Right, so John Bonham wasn't having it, though. He was doing well with Tim Rose, and he was getting offers from Joe Cocker and others. In the end, he decided that he liked the Yardbirds' music more, so he decided to join. It took eight telegrams from Plants and then 40 more from the manager to convince him. Eventually, the bass player quit the project, and John Paul Jones was added. Special boy. Yes, so they toured under the name The New Yardbirds to complete the tour obligations in Scandinavia. As soon as they had fulfilled those obligations the band was already recording as Led Zeppelin. Wow. Woo. According to one source, Peter Grant was able to score them one of the few great record deals in history. They signed with Atlantic with a $200,000 advance and super high fees for their concerts. Most importantly, they got creative and financial freedom. Yeah. I mean, so many times we hear about musicians getting fucked over like yeah. Buddy Holly did. Um, yeah, and it happens a lot like where people get really shitty deals. I think it was the same with... Um, Pants. Billy Holiday, oh. Patsy Klein. Oh, too. yeah, everybody, yeah. so long. Everybody gets fucked over, but I mean, this was a group of white men, so <laughs> they, they got a good deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think, too, it's now, it's more of where you get mentors, like, coming up in the music industry. You have people reach out and say, like, hey, don't let people do this, don't let people do that, you know? Right. They also yeah. had a leg in because the Yardbirds were pretty successful already. So yeah. they already had some good connections, yeah. and they already, like had the people that they trusted in their corner to get them the better yeah, they deal. Had to work through. Good point. Yeah. It's not like they're just coming out of the out of the garage like trying to, you know, mm-hmm. negotiate these deals on their own. 
Yeah. So um, John Paul Jones estimated that it took about 30 hours to make the first Led Zeppelin record. 15 for recording and 15 for mixing. Is that quick, Drew? Because it seems really quick. That's that's super fast. Yeah. But I mean, if you're recording it live, it's it's not that crazy. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you have to know the songs really well, but that's what they did. Yeah, you know? I mean, they had to. They it's. I mean, it's substantially quick because it was nine songs total. But according to Jimmy Page, most of the album was recorded live um, sure. because you do get a lot of natural ambiance. And they wanted to add texture, and then they added several like overdubs later. But a lot of bands now will still record like full, like Death Cab does that. Their whole Transatlanticism album was them just recording the entire piece live wow. and then picking out, you know, they did like four takes and then they'd pick out which one they liked the best. Mm-hmm. So any weird things that would happen, like the beginning of the one that is actually, the, I mean, they cut it out in radio mm-hmm. play, but like Chris Walla actually tripped over a chord and you get this <laughs> reverb that they just were like, well, we'll keep it even though you tripped. So. Nice. That's absolutely the beauty of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. beauty of Led Zeppelin. Like they... The way that John Bonham played too was he was he was not like a metronome. He was his own yeah. metronome, but he would hit notes like the last possible second you could hit a note without it being in time. And he had this uncanny feel that if you if you took that out, then it just wasn't Led Zeppelin anymore. Mm-hmm. If you put him to a grid and did all this, it definitely would not be John Bonham. Yeah. There's a romance to it for sure. They were recording in a live room. So um, we already kind of went over that. I guess that's recording all of the parts oh. at once. Um, part of their sound is that everything leaks into everything else. Yeah. Some parts had plants, vocals bleeding into other tracks. Um, Page later stated this was a natural pro- product of plants, powerful voice. That's a lot of fucking peas in that sentence. Um, <laughs> but it also added like additional leakage that or leakage <laughs> that sounded intentional for the track. You can right. even, uh, the, the it's historic. John Bonham has a squeaky drum pedal. Oh, yeah. And a lot of his stuff. And when they do the solo tracks, you can hear his little, like, <laughs> like in between the bass drum hits. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. I mean, like, it's people are like, oh, he's tidbit. lazy. Why didn't he grease his bass drum pedal? It's like, shut up. It's, it's, it's right. That's you know? what made the what song it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, two months later, the band was opening for Vanilla Fudge, where, where Carmen Apice introduced Bonham to his Ludwig drums. They make a huge sound, which Bonham loved and came to be known for. So um, Led Zeppelin continued to record seven more albums, and they toured endlessly. John Bonham went from making 40 pounds a week to bringing in six figures almost monthly. Can you imagine? No. (laughs) That'll be us one day. When you're like 20 years old, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. So uh, he spent his first big paycheck moving into a 15-acre farm in the country near Birmingham. Led Zeppelin was selling out left and right all over the world for 12 years. They did Mm. 11 U.S tours, four European tours, two tours in Japan, and one in Australia. They were living the peak of rock and roll lifestyle, and they had a bit of a reputation on tour. Oh, yeah. Drugs, fights, sex, destroying hotel rooms, all of it was happening, and it was all linked to John Bonham. There is so much. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it was covered in that book we talked about earlier, Cemetery Gates, by author Nick O'Shea. Uh, For instance, they actually, in 1969 had this thing they called the Dog Act. Mm. Uh-huh. It's about to get really fucking gross. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to let you guys know. So if you're not a pervert who humps, uh, probably just turn off the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so Bonham and his tour manager at the time, Richard Cole, attempted to get a groupie woman's dog to literally eat her out. Um, their clever oh idea was that they placed strips of bacon onto her vagina, but thankfully that did not work. 
Um, then Cole yes. persuaded Bonham to take place of the dog while another crew member dumped an industrial-sized can of baked beans and sprayed them down with champagne. What in the fuck? So sexy. That's so disgusting. <laughs> you couldn't even write that into a movie. No. That's so you know. fucking... Oh uh, but also, if you look on the internet, you can't find stuff like this. It was in that book, and I was like, gross, put it in here. <laughs> um, there's also the destructive tendency that Bonham had to try and act or he tried to, like, out-crazy other people. Um, so he hid a plastic bag of cocaine between his knees while he played on stage and would take hits out of it during the show. Um, and then he had his friend... He offered his friend cocaine, knowing in effect was heroin. So, um, so strike two, you know, that's fucked so up. How did he put the cocaine between his legs? Because when you're playing drums, it you have the snare drum his, in the middle. I, he probably put it, like, yeah, on like, a... I mean, I have thick thighs, so it would hold, my thighs would hold. I don't know about his thighs. Whatever, he had it on stage. Yeah, it was on stage and he bumped. Um, Though he was married, he happened to, uh, oh, what happened on tour, stayed on tour. What? (laughs) Fuck. Though he was married, uh, what happened on tour, stayed on tour. Bonham would actually take advantage of the groupies, desperate to get backstage after the show, and he was known to have tied some groupies up to a bedpost and put fish into their vagina and or anus. Um, this is an Yeast act. Infection. He, yeah, he oh. called this the mud shark, and it's actually memorialized in a song by uh, Frank Zappa, mud which shark. is. Do you know it? No, <laughs> that's, that's how Drew would write it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that sounds about right. Um, so on another occasion, Bonham actually punched an industry insider named Michelle Meyer in the face for looking at him funny. Uh, people soon soon learned. <laughs> people soon learned you could not look him in the eye without. Yeah. So, like, these are um, a lot of character things with him. Like, he was not a good person. (laughs) Not a good person. Great drummer, but kind of a shitty guy. But that's what happens when you give 20 year olds millions and millions of dollars and to buy drugs. Unlimited freedom. Right. So, even though he had a kid and a wife at home. I was bummed to hear about the mud shark (laughs) because I I really, I've always revered him. He's certainly by far one of my favorite drummers. So, Sorry, Drew. Hearing stuff like that, I'm like, damn it. Breaking your dreams. Yeah. As many a rock star does, the musicians of Led Zeppelin began to feel the burnout. John Mm -hmm. Bonham was laying his soul out there nearly every single night, doing 20-minute drum solos, bleeding. He was playing with his hands. He was on the verge of collapse. Um, If you're not familiar with the track Moby Dick, it's a drum solo highlight track where everyone else leaves the stage and John Bonham takes over. The song was always performed differently with some room for improvisation in each performance. It averaged about 20 minutes long, but Bonham said that the longest he ever played was just shy of 30 minutes. Um, It always kind of followed the same pattern. He would play with his sticks, then he'd go to his hands, then he'd go to Timps, and then a final buildup. So imagine doing that. You're just 21 years old almost every single night um, on top of performing the rest of the show, not getting any sleep, and plenty of substance abuse. It was just utter exhaustion. Yeah, I think we also talked about when they played back then, it was for hours. Mm-hmm. So you having to stop in the middle when everyone gets a break. Like, would you be able to pay, play for 30 minutes nonstop? I mean, I do, but it's... it. It, Just it's you, impossible. Yeah. The, big thing, the big thing is like the hands, the hand solos. I don't know if you guys have ever played drums with your Bongos. hands, but videos of him, and he's, yeah. he slaps, and you have metal hoops, you know? Yeah. And I mean, he, he was just crushing it with triplets, super high hands, playing with his just... They just turned probably into meat hooks, you know? At least he got a break for, you know, the first part of Stairway to Heaven. Needless to say, all that... <laughs> <laughs> the cocaine was super necessary. Oh, is that isn't how you it, don't feel things always? ever? <laughs> it definitely helps, helps anesthetize. Jimmy Page also, I mean. Stop, my allergies are up. 
Every time you hear Cassie sniffling in the background, it's just the cocaine. Can we talk about how you texted me like I edited out all your sniffles? And I'm like over here like my nose, I can feel it's like dripping. Can I get a tissue? Can we pause real quick? <laughs> yep, pause for tissue. Cocaine Cassie, everyone. <laughs> John Bonham had confided in a few close friends that he'd been suffering from panic attacks before shows as well. I mean, you can't drink before a show because then you'll be tired. So you sit around and you're anxious the whole day waiting to perform in front of thousands of people. And then once the show started, you know, he would be fine. But the anticipation was awful and even worse at festivals. Yeah. So the following information I actually pulled from thehealthyplace.com. It stated anxiety disorders were only recognized in 1980 by the American Psychiatric Association. So before this recognition, people experiencing one of these disorders usually received like generic diagnoses of stress or nerves since there was like no actual understanding of what the disorders uh, meant with health professionals. So very few people actually received any type of treatment back then because yeah. they couldn't really figure it out. They didn't, yeah. It, and actually, with it, without even care. having anxiety disorders, it just sucks waiting yeah. to play <laughs> all day when you have a really big show and you just like don't know what to do. You don't want to work out. You don't want to drink. You don't want to like, you know expend yourself in any way you just kind of have to sit there and like deal with kind of visualizing you know it's weird yeah Yeah. so and then there's the fact that john bonham absolutely hated flying so he was left physically ill during fly date tours i mean what can you do have a few drinks take the edge off so john bonham was already pretty rowdy and confident so imagine what a few pints of beer will do um he had a reputation for mayhem if you got too close to him Shouldn't be surprised if he ripped up your clothes and dumped a beer on you. It's very forward of him. Yeah, what the <laughs> fuck? So in 1977, at one of their shows in Oakland, John Bonham got into a fight and he was fined with a suspended sentence. Um, the fight allegedly involved members of the Zeppelin crew. He and three others viciously attacked an American security guard. Zeppelin never returned to the U.S. after that. Um, now it was back to life back home. Um, so John Bonham returned to the farm and bricklaying, and he was now raising two children, Jason and Zoe, in the Worcester countryside. How do you, how should I say that? Worcester. I've been watching a lot of Great British Bake Off, and they say it, and I always, like, forget. So. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's a fuck. trip up. Worcester? We don't know. Worcester? Worcester? No, no, no. Um, anyways, We're American. <laughs> they, um, he got super big into cars at this time. Um, with all of his new money, it was something he really liked to splurge on. Yeah. Um, he had to live abroad along with the other band members because they had become tax exiles, much like Marvin Gaye. Um, so they made all this money touring in America, but they didn't want to pay taxes on it, so they weren't allowed to live in the United States. Okay. In 1978, they could not tour in America anymore. And Bonham had become pretty explosive. Much like Keith Moon, he drank and got really aggressive, which is unfortunate. Like when you're an angry drunk. Yeah. Because you can be a fun drunk, not an yeah, angry one. You can be a fun drunk. You're, you're a crying drunk. That was one time. Okay. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was almost an expectation that he live up to his reputation. So he was constantly pushing himself further and further. Everything was seemingly going, seemingly going south and not just for Bonham. Robert Plant's son died unexpectedly after mm. a viral infection at the young age of five. Wow. So on a German tour, Bonham began showing signs of fatigue. They played a show in Nuremberg in 1979 and John Bonham could only play three songs before he was too sick to play. Uh, he was sick for the rest of the tour.
tour. Wow. By September of 1980, Led Zeppelin was gearing up to head back to the United States. Um, John Bonham appeared to have fallen into a very deep depression. Yeah, so over the years, he actually worked to wean himself off of heroin, but at the same time overcompensating with alcohol. And at some point, he began taking Motivol, which was a mild antidepressant designed to lift spirits, but that drug carried a numerous amount of side effects, uh, which was restlessness, agitation, panic attacks, tremors, basically stuff that he would get without it, right. also getting it on it. So um, he sucks. also had parasitesia, which is like pins and needles feelings in oh. your extremities. So like, can you imagine playing the drums with that shit happening? Oh constantly? my God. Sometimes I, I get like, migraines and my fingertips go numb. Oh, just my feet fall asleep all the time and I just feel <laughs> like when you're like trying to wake them up. I mean, the way that he played drums probably had something to do with it too. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, you got to wonder, like, he died when he was 32. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, the way that he played was, it wasn't really technique for long term. Well, if, yeah, if he would have had, like, later, if he had, you know, lived, he probably would have, like, arthritis and all these. Carpal tunnel. Yeah. Um, so on September 24th, 1980, Bonham was picked up by Rex King on the way to their rehearsal. Rex was actually hired to basically be his babysitter. He was kind of tough, no-nonsense sort of guy. So they figured, hey, let me light a fire under his ass. Mm-hmm. I'll get him to where he needs to be. Um, but Bonham kind of twisted his arm and said, let's stop by this pub. And somehow he agreed to let him go in there and drink. So um, while Bonham must have been hiding his drinks while they were there, he actually managed to down four quadruple vodka and orange juices for breakfast (laughs) and along with some ham sandwiches. Um, 16 shots was a normal breakfast for him, so nobody was actually concerned with the amount of stuff he was drinking at the time. He had a high tolerance because he drank so much. It's kind of, I don't think he was like physically like throwing up and stuff and oh yeah you know he and he was always a belligerent person so sure you would never know what <laughs> 40 was. shots of vodka is, yeah, yeah. well so at this point up. he only had 16 that was just breakfast yeah because so, this guy was like sure yeah let's go to yeah the pub. If he was very abrupt and abrasive you would not know at what point he was actually drunk until it became yeah or what's much. just his personality yeah <laughs> so oh, that sucks <laughs> yeah so john bonham was riding with robert plant to jimmy page's house for rehearsal when he said I've had it with playing drums. Everybody plays better than me. I'll tell you what, when we get to the rehearsal, you play the drums and I'll sing. And that was their last rehearsal. John Bonham continued drinking once he arrived. Laddersound.com says that he drank 40 measures of vodka, which I'm assuming means 40 shots over the course of 12 hours. So that Google conversion was actually uh, 40 US fluid ounces. Oh shit, that's like the 40 ounce margaritas that we drink. Yikes. Yeah, but okay. all vodka. <laughs> yeah, but yes. <laughs> Only vodka. It's nothing else. <laughs> oh, my God. So we had 16 shots at breakfast. That leaves 24 more shots that he had throughout the day and night. Um, for reference, the United Kingdom's, Kingdom's recommended serving for men is three to four units or three to four drinks a day. Mm-hmm. I'd like to note how much 40. it sucks trying to play drums when you're shit hammered. Also, like going to practice after drinking that much is like, how do you even... <laughs> Like, because you can't, your time is out the window. Yeah. Your, you know, your dexterity is fucked. You know, he was pretty much useless at that point. Yeah. (laughs) So he he fell asleep on the couch around midnight. Um, Later, they moved him up to his bed. And what are you supposed to do with drunk people? You put them on their side. Um, I was a lifeguard in, in school and we learned in lifeguarding class that you have to raise one arm up and like roll them over onto their side so that if they puke, they don't choke on their puke. Yeah, I mean, Babysitter Rex did just that. He actually used, um, or he's very used to John Bonham's antics. So as the group babysitter, it wasn't his first time putting a sloshed band member to bed. He actually 
propped pillows up on the side of Bonham as like barricades. Mm-hmm. Um, so because, roll. yeah, after all, like er, it was a decade earlier where Jimi Hendrix had died in his sleep after choking his own vom- on his own vomit. So the next morning, John Bonham didn't come down for rehearsals again. That wasn't really raising any red flags for them. He was usually pretty late to wake up, especially after drinking so much that he passed out. So the band members decided to let him rest. But when he didn't come down after 12 noon, they decided to send someone up to go get him. John Paul Jones and their road manager, Benji Lefebvre. They went to go upstairs and wake him up. They found that he was unconscious. The room smelled like shit. You know, they knew something was wrong. So after a bit, they realized that John Bonham had died sometime in the night, September 25th, 1980, at the age of 32. His body was already cold and discolored. John Paul Jones had to break the news to the other guys, which would have been absolutely just heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. Um, they were upset, but they were also fucking mad uh what john paul jones calls a waste of life yeah they called an ambulance and the police but the cops left soon after finding nothing suspicious at the scene plant and john paul jones went home to mourn with their families while jimmy page stayed to deal with the press so the media had long suspected a satanic pact between page plant and bonham and the theory wasn't without merits jimmy page actually had a fascination and deep knowledge of the occult and it didn't help that led zeppelin were the fathers of heavy metal so they yeah. were all just like, They thought oh. there was some kind of like... Yeah, they were like, oh, Satan took him. It's no big deal. Yeah, they made a death pact. Yeah. Right? So some people suspected that drugs were involved in John Bonham's death, but it's widely held um, that at this point, he was just an alcoholic. Yeah. The autopsy report revealed that in the night, he had died from pulmonary edema um, after choking on his own vomit. The the fluid accumulated in his lungs, his, his puke, which caused his respiratory failure. His official cause of death was listed as consumption of alcohol, with the manner being accidental. Mm. Uh, John Bonham's funeral was held on October 10th, 1980, attended by his friends, family, and bandmates. The final service was held at the Worcester Crematorium. Worcester. Um, on December 4th, a statement was issued to address rumors of replacing Bonham and continuing Led Zeppelin. The Who had continued to play after the death of Keith Moon, but... Nobody was capable of replacing Bonham for Led Zeppelin. The statement read, We wish it to be known that the loss of our dear friend and the deep sense of undivided harmony felt by ourselves and our manager have led us to decide that we could not continue as we were. And that is the story of the death of the greatest rock and roll drummer that ever lived, John Bonham. Yeah, so his son, Jason Bonham, was actually 14 when his father was found dead. He was interviewed back in 2015 on the website Society of Rock where he mentions that his life did go on for a moment. It kind of looked like Jason was trying to emulate his famous father, nearly crashing and burning before a dose of tough love from late Motorhead frontman, Lenny, uh, thankfully got him back on the straight and narrow and ready to step in his own vast musical legacy. It's kind of ironic that somebody who was famous for being drunk got him to <laughs> yeah. do what he needed to do to... He's a well, poor drunk. Whipped him, whipped him into shape. Yeah, so according to modern drummer, Jason's career certainly had its ups and downs. At 17, he formed his first band, Air Race, and later joined Virginia Woolf, uh, whose record was produced by Queen drummer Roger Taylor. 
1988, he joined Jimmy Page for his Outrider record and tour. And that same year, he played for the first time as an official member of Led Zeppelin when the band actually reunited for Atlantic Records' 40th anniversary concert tour at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Jason represented his father when Led Zeppelin were indicted. Inducted. (laughs) (laughs) Indicted. Inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in January 95. He's played in numerous bands since then. And in December of 2007, he actually played in the most anticipated concert of all time, the Led Zeppelin reunion tour at London's O2 Arena, where um, he still actively tours today with his band, the Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Evening. I thought it was experience. It was. (laughs) Oh, they changed it? Yeah. Weird. Um, or they they were like, Don't you can't use that name anymore, kind of thing. What the fuck? Um, I don't okay. I don't remember why. I looked it up and I was like, that's not interesting. I don't care. So that's why I didn't put it in here. Yeah, I know he remember he came to the amphitheater um with the Jason Bottoms Led Zeppelin experience it was and a they played with thing. heart. Yeah. Um and it was really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a copyright thing from the band. What sucks is that, like, everyone knows that he'll never be his dad because his dad was such a fucking beast. Like, he was just so original, and his feel is, like, everyone wants to see him. So I kind of feel bad for him in that regard. That happens to, like, all famous kids. They just have so much to live up to, and it's it's unrealistic expectations to place on, like, a child. Famous people just, like, don't don't have kids. (laughs) Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) There's enough of you. We have enough people. No, and I do have, like, a slight story. I've told you guys, I think, this story numerous times, but (laughs) my (laughs) my sister had texted me one day because we used to play, like, games where we would shuffle our iPod and be like, who's this? Who's this? But, like, Mm -hmm. listening to, like, emo shit in her car. And so one day she texted me, just like, who sings that song that goes, ah? And I was like, <laughs> what is that? Because immediately my brain went to like backcountry where he's just like, ah! at the beginning of that Avenged Sevenfold song. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's like, never mind, found it. It's immigrant song. And I was like, what the fuck? Because there is like so many inflections and yeah. like vocal tones. And I was like, I, I feel like, like if she would have put like the capital H's like, ah. Yeah, I would have been able to figure it out. I'm like, oh yeah, it's Zeppelin. But no, I didn't get that. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Don't talk to me ever again. That's awesome. <laughs> Ow, my foot's asleep. Pins and needles. <laughs> Roast please. <laughs> well, that one ended up being like a lot shorter than some of the other ones. But yeah. he lived um, a hard and fast life. So I, I think the only way we could have made it longer is if we went more into detail about like Led Zeppelin recording songs. But the story's right. not really about that. No. It's his, you know, he just lived... Too much in 32 years. If yeah. you would have spread that Overdoing out. Overdoing it. If you would have spread that out over the course of his life, then yeah, like, but it probably would have been fine. I mean, obviously not on the extent, and maybe on the extent of your, you know, alcohol content drinking, but like when you try to do so much in a day and you, you know, you try to overdo it, overwork yourself, do this, mm-hmm. do that, you know, Time goes by so quickly. Like, my mom used to be like, after high school, every year goes by faster. And I never believed her. But then mm-hmm. there was one day at work, this lady was like, believe me, Christmas happens twice a year. And I was like, shit. Because, you know, you're you're so into doing things. That's, I think, why everyone this year is like, this year sucks because you can't do as much as you usually oh do. God, and I... they don't know how to slow down. But yeah, this guy was just like true. 100% all go, the time go, go. for, what, 15, 16 years just in yeah. the bands. So... It is such crazy. a shame because it would be so rad to see what he would do. It is, isn't it That's crazy to think that, how old are you now, 35? Mm-hmm. To think that he died when he was 32 and like being right around that age is just absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally wild. 
But he's the best, dude. Like, and I think because he died that young, he's like eternalized, and no mm-hmm. one can still like. There's just YouTube after YouTube video, of people trying to uh, emulate him, and they can't. Like, people still can't, even with technology. Like, just, advanced, yeah. You can't do it. Trump machines. That's well, it. Yeah, the playlist for for this week is going to be really fucking oh, good. It was so fun. To make. So much better than the Great White one. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> But this this is a really good one. So make sure you guys find us on Spotify and go check out the playlist. And then you can find us on all social media platforms by searching for Death by Podcast Team. Our email is deathbypodcastteam at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Rest in peace. Bye. Drew, I think it's your turn. What? Rest in peace. Rest in peace. The Undertaker would slap you in the face. Was that not good enough? Rest in peace. Okay, that was good. (laughs) All right. Bye, fam. Later, nerds. Music by Demons. At Demons Band on Instagram. Mastering by Adam Dobb. Graphic arts by Mike Johnson. Writing by Alex Motler and Cassie Gardner. With assistance from Drew Orton.